Hello and welcome to episode 84 of Hearty Dice Friends. The warmest of available welcomes to you, dear listener. My name, as ever, is Grant Howitt, and I'm joined rather predictably by my good friend Christopher Taylor. Hello. 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 Here we are on the internet answering questions. Yeah, like it like it was our job or something. Yeah, like it mattered. Wow. Uh, our um, our Kickstarter is still going. We are in the, I'm going to say, wintry hinterland mm-hmm. or winterland in between the start of the campaign where everyone who cares about it gives you money and the end of the campaign where everyone is like, oh yeah, gives you money. And then you just have to sort of scutter around the internet with your, with your, with your hat in your hands being like, hello sir, can I sell you a high quality role playing game product? Is it a core book, boy? Give me a guinea and I'll roll you some dice. <laughs> I only buy core books, but oh, you can attach the core book as part of your book. Get out, i give you a thick ear. Um, <laughs> that in children? We're, we're, we're running around um, in, in short shorts. Well, sorry, long in shorts, just normal size shorts. It's very cold. We're running around in booty pants. <laughs> they are snug. We're running around in normal size shorts with a little flat cap trying to just get, just get some coppers to make, to, to just, just to make things work, sir. We're so angry, sir. So... We've set up a crowdfunding campaign, sir. <laughs> Buy us gruel. Buy us gruel, sir. Um, and so, yeah, we, we it went down one day, which is always which is always a fun day in any Kickstarter campaign. Oh yeah, where you have less money at the end of the day than you did at the start. I, I'd like to I like to say it wasn't like thirty thousand pounds less. Yeah, we're still like we're at forty one grand. We're still doing okay as far as funding a supplement for a role playing game without a proper IP attached to it. Mm. Chris, we need an IP. We have an IP grant. It's called Spire. No, no, no. That's that's, that's like that's one I wrote. Mm. I want. I mean, I mean, I want a popular one from the early nineties. That's where you get that Kickstarter dollar. Batman. The Batman RPG. What if you were Batman? See. Yeah. And that'd be good. What if all five of you around the table, right, were Batman? Are you Batman or are you all Batman? They take it in turns. Four or of you must be of, silent. The rest of you rub Batman with oils. <laughs> yeah, you never put on the suit. It's just like Bruce Wayne's downtime. Well, it would be a laugh. I thought. No, I, I figure like you describe putting on the suit. Oh, okay. And fighting criminals. And then while you do that, the GM says how you beat up criminals is really good. And then the other players are just like, it's a shame your parents died. Sorry, it's a shame my parents died. And they whisper um, sad nothings into your ear. <laughs> Catwoman doesn't really love you. Why can't we get the big licenses, Chris? Uh, because we don't ask people for them and give them big piles of money. We don't have any money. And also we come up with terrible ideas like the Batman massage game. <laughs> I think I think there's a market for that, you know? Yeah. We were on the subject of markets. Chris and I were looking at male sex toys. <laughs> yes, we actually, were. Actually, sorry. Male sex toys is perhaps a little bit exclusionary. Sex toys you put dicks into. Yes. Um, they, th- I, that was the category they were on the website. I can't remember what the how we got to there. No. It was... We were, we were just sort of warming up, drinking coffee, talking about what sort of business we had to attend to today. And then I found a, um, a website that reviews sex toys. And so I was like, oh, I'll have a look. But, but mainly, mainly uh, sex toys you put, your, you put your dick into. And so there was one very, very keen man called um, John James, mm-hmm. um, who kept referring to himself as we. <laughs> <laughs> the royal we. We fucked this. Did you? Were you all there? In in your office, me and my but it, cronies. But it's a guy who fucks blowjob machines, and I can't quite fathom out the like. There was there was one that was six hundred pounds. It came in like a, a flight case, like one of those heavy duty, droppable briefcases. It had a cooling fan. Yes, and it was technically called in a milking unit. machine. Yeah, it was in it, it. It could have doubled up as, or it was like something if you wanted to extract bone marrow from a horse. Yeah. But we were looking at all of these. And uh, I decided that maybe maybe having an electric one was a bit too much of a or like or perhaps some sort of fuel driven one that was too More was just cold. too much of a. <laughs> sir, sir, the pre- the pressure's overloading. She can't take it. Thirty strong stevedores. I didn't hide a coward. Now up the pressure and strap that thing onto my belly. Throw in the weakest. <laughs> 
Um, so I thought I'd have a look. Your old, your, your traditional flashlights, to use mm. the brand name. Uh, one, I was amazed at the at the range of flashlights available. Yes, there is there is an astonishing and like heavily endorsed range. Yeah, array of stuff you're not really going to look at. You know, mm. it's not really for looking at the flashlight. It is when designed to be it, unobtrusive. When you use it, the the front, as it were, faces away and down from you. <laughs> or away and up, but you're definitely obscuring it, you know? Yeah. Point is, there was a an alien-themed one, which was fun, you know, there was a zombie one, which raised some difficult questions. Yeah. And so a Frankenstein one with stitch marks. Um, and one autographed by Stoyer in a raised embossed um, font. But the alien one had uh, two clitorises, which is exciting uh, to start with. And it was blue, kind of a triangular opening. And they'd sold 12 million units. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not just like 12 million units overall, but 12 million blue vaginas. Yes. For how much a pop, Grant? Uh, about, I think it was 60 quid. That's a lot of money. Which makes me think that we're in the wrong business. Now, I know we're in the wrong business if we want to make money. Yeah. You know? I mean, we could sell double glazing if we wanted to make money. I don't know how we'd do that, but I assume that's a way in which you can make money. I was about to say that we do it for the love of the product, but so do they, very much so. Well, I think more us than them. Yeah. It's not like they're there, you know, like making the double glaze. Point is, we need to sell places to put your dick. Mm-hmm. It could be our website. Dot com. Put your dick in it. Dot com. <laughs> dick locations. Dick locations. Dick slots. Dick sheaths. Cock holsters. <laughs> we found those too. <laughs> That's actually a thing. <laughs> there, there is there, there. There were also devices that, if you wanted to have a girthier member and presumably not enjoy sex, you could you could you could team up. You could put those two things together and basically put your um put your chap in a well, a holster, a sheath, yeah, a scabbard. A, a tube. Which you then introduce to a lover intimately. A dampening tube. <laughs> the sort of thing that the, 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 like and what you imagine like Professor Xavier has to go through has to relive like a a, a traumatic childhood experience. Mm-hmm. Like the sort of thing he put in his head, but for your cock, <laughs> it just lessens all the well, that, emotions. That that device lets him lets him see all the minds that are currently <laughs> active. Does this let him see all of the current penises? <laughs> that was that was a very big room that Wolverine willed him into. I don't know. I don't know how that would. I guess it would be the same, but you just like, but like but but rather than putting it on his head, you just sort of like just just wheel his wheelchair. <laughs> Onto oh there we go, and we're in. Get out and lock the door. This is Xavier's time. <laughs> this is Charlie's special time. <laughs> shall we? Shall uh, we bring this rudely around to role playing games? Yeah, that was an intro, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, well done, us. Yeah, ask me a question then. This, this is a question, uh, an answer program mm-hmm. in which we you ask us questions and we answer them, and maybe you get a little wisdom out of that along the way. Maybe. I mean... Question me, because JP asks, What mechanic in a game gives you the fear? It's a bit late for Halloween. Yeah? Um, the fear. The fear. I get, I get very scared of um, range modifiers. Really? Um, hit location tables. Oh, hit location tables are astonishing. Um, I'm interested. I'm interested in them. That it's very rare that they improve a game, and they only work if you shoot at human-sized targets, <laughs> human-shaped targets. You know. Yeah. I like. I uh, I once had some characters fight a giant spider, and the hit location result was spider. <laughs> <laughs> These just also legs. He's hitting right in the spider. Look at that. Ooh. What scares you then, Chris? Uh, encumbrance. I think that's the sort of thing which you can safely ignore and not worry about balance. Like there are very few games which are balanced around encumbrance. That's very true. I mean, some <laughs> games. So this is this is something about these sorts of mechanics, mm. in that if they are a part of a game where they're not the focus, they're mm. generally the worst thing about the game. 
Mm. However, if they become the focus, if, if, if a lot of time is spent on them, then they could be really interesting. Like um, a lot of games now are doing encumbrance in interesting ways where you have to write down where the thing is and you have the chance of losing it. You can drop it to to run faster, that sort of thing. The last bit you said is interesting. I like the first bit as well. There's a chance that you can lose it if you fall. It's a bit like having the... um, Back in the day, when you had you had health potions, you had to make saving throws for your health health potions when you fell over. Yes, but imagine something that combined, right, and and we're looking very pie in the sky here. Would it heal around the glass, or would it push the glass out? I think you have to. Well, I think if you stabbed the glass into you, then it would heal you. I've fallen. I can't get up. I've fallen um, onto my healing potion, and it's the gla- the bottle has shattered, and it's got and all the glass has got into my thigh. Mm-hmm. Is that going to cure itself, or do we need to drink it? I would argue that it would. It would. You'd roll the dice. Yeah, that's like fair. it might not heal you entirely, or it might do really well. We forgot to bring a, uh, a party healer to the last day, and say we. My players forgot to bring a party healer, so they just had the had nothing to do with this. <laughs> they just had the rogue who had the um, highest dexterity throw potions of healing directly at the faces of the unconscious party members. <laughs> and and they'd break, and then and then they're like, "Well, you can, yeah, okay, that counts. That's fine." <laughs> Go on. Okay, thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had a game that actually had a good hit location system, okay, and a good item encumbrance system, mm-hmm. so you'd have to choose. Like, you could strap if you wanted to. You could strap a book to your arm. Ah, uh, that could okay. be your. That could be where you keep your book. I'm yes. just picking that because it's a weird place to put a book. It is very, it's a very strange place to put a book. Or, if you wanted to, that location could be filled with armour. Ah, I see. So you'd have or, to make a trade-off between what you can carry and how armoured you'd want to be. Mm. And I think that would actually be really fun. That, that, that could be kind of neat as well, especially if you had, like, um, a wizard needs to have a load of um, magical gugors and tchotchkes all over their body. Yeah. And so, like, like let's say, for example, um, your arm slot is taken up with an amulet of, of fire thought, which lets you do your wizard shit. Yeah. Because it never... It always seemed a bit, like... It always seemed a bit after the fact that everyone in Dungeons & Dragons can wear uh, armour, aside from wizards, because it interrupts with their fine motor. <laughs> with their like, finger wriggles. It interrupts with their finger wriggles. It's like, dude, fighters have to swing their arms around. Yeah. I don't... Like, just take off the glove part. It's very strange. And so I get it, because they wanted wizards to, one, have a downside, and two, wear dresses, because that's what wizards wear. Yeah, but like this sort of encumbrance system would also allow for those really cool sets of armour, where you have one one side of you armoured, like like a gladiator, mm, and the other and side, side of free. You just, mm, just all, all, all in the wind. Oh, yeah, just, just nipples to the breeze. Just one ball. <laughs> <laughs> like dead down the centre, you're armoured. <laughs> Everything on you is split. That would work. Do you really want to wrestle? <laughs> but yeah, like, hit locations. Like, 90% of the time, that is garbage. It's just, it's not fun. It's not a fun part. So, like, it's great if you hit them right in the head. Mm. But primarily, the, the the reason I can see it is so you is so you can use it to simulate cover. But then you have to work out, well... Two thirds of his shoulders out of cover. Oh, I know. Yeah, I mean, I, I learned I learned hit, hit location tables from Inquisitor. Yeah, which was not the. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure what an interesting hit location table would look like. I guess we had to go with adventure skeletons. Yeah, I mean, but that's a that's a one page thing, and that's that's what I mean. Like that's the that's the hit location table in that is the mm. game. Yeah, pretty much. There isn't I anything think, else. I think we could. I think you could have a lot of fun with strapping magic books or like special helmets. To different parts of well, the helmet would go on the head. Uh, different parts of your body and having that act as like you can have that as armor, or you can have it unarmored, or you can have it with stuff there, and you have to think very carefully about what you've got. A bit like hard points on a mech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You literally you've got you've got attachment points, and you can plug stuff onto it. So you mm. can have a runic tablet that doesn't actually give you armor, but explodes mm. outwards in a directed burst when it's broken. The, I'll be honest with you. The thing which bothers me about encumbrance. Is that generally people carry four interesting items of equipment, tops. Yeah, and like 
often the shit that you that you just have to do your job isn't interesting. So like you've got all right, I've got a sword and shield as a fighter. All right, well I fine. Whatever. The shield's just there to add to your AC. The sword's a, the sword's a means of doing D8 damage. It doesn't tell me much about your character. Yeah. I'm much more interested in these other things. And I think that having the... Um, I think that 13th Age did that really well, actually. That it, it just had... Uh, you uh, as, as a paladin, you do D10 damage with a big-ass weapon. Yes. Tell us what kind of big-ass weapon it is. And that was that was fairly civilised. But I think, I think less... Less character sheet more talking yeah and i mean you're talking about like you want to know about what's important on a character yeah what's interesting if you're looking at a straight bog standard D &D character Mm -hmm. absolutely nothing is interesting what is interesting is the empty the (laughs) empty space in an encumbrance in the encumbrance chart because it's that space you can fill with loot yes and that's why you're there in Dungeons and Dragons. That's just mm. that's why I said basic. But that just steal its shoes. Yeah, exactly. Like it doesn't really matter that you've got you know an ivory inlaid mirror that was your mother's. That, that's the thing because it ain't, ain't going to come up, is it? It means absolutely nothing in standard Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, um, it has no in-game effect. It has very little role-playing effect because this, this see, mirror was my mother's. Okay, you mate, see the thing. The thing which the thing which really sort of. <laughs> grinds my gears about D&D is how basic adventuring supplies barely ever come up mm. yes and you simply so, have to have them on the sheet and then it's hand waved well it's like door wedges yeah caltrops ropes candles uh, wax charcoal um, alchemist fire all these things which are like crowbars climbing tools all these things which are interesting mechanics like oh how are we going to solve this problem but there's very few rules for them mm. And they're all surpassed almost immediately by a wizard. Yeah, and like Caltrops don't really cause problems. No. To people coming at you, I just, I, I think the, I think there could be something really interesting around like having that encumbrance thing, which is like, okay, well, we've got Caltrops because Caltrops are cool and interesting and useful. We have to try and make a plan which uses them, mm-hmm. but they're taking up one of my six blocks. I need to make this happen. I think that's. I think I'd, I'd like to see like uh, a equipment focused game in that way, where it's it's not like oh I have I have my dad's sword and it's magic and dad died and now and now, and now his soul's in the sword. And he's a bit racist, but he's okay and he's still a sword, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and no one else can hear him speak. I hope. And instead of that, you've got oh I've got a rope and I've got this much rope and it does this much shit. And because I've taken that rope, I cannot yeah. take another thing. Yeah. Like, it's that choice that makes it really interesting because when you're rocking at 18 strength, you can carry three quarters of a ton. Mm. You know, it, like, you can carry an obscene amount of weight. It's like two, three jet skis. Yeah. So, like, a bag of caltrops, you just duct tape it to the back of you and carry on. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And, and also, this is, this is going to sound very strange. It, I haven't found a good, I haven't found a fun mechanic for getting things out of bags yet. And with that, I'm going to retire. <laughs> I've become a grognard, everyone. Yes. That happened. Yep. Chris, I'd like to move on from this question. That is, that is fair, because it's, it's really starting to hurt you. Bill Cohen asks, Hello, lads. Hey, Billy. What games or game genres do you think can make the best use of easy access, current-gen VR, i.e. smartphone with a headset, and existing apps? How could you include a VR element into, for example, Delta Green? Dang. So you've actually, like, off the top of my head, hit the main target for that for me, which would be investigative games. Your Thulus. Oh yes, I said yes. You're you're like like looking around a a room and finding yeah, the thing. Yeah, but like one of the one of the old DM tactics was somebody getting secret information via note or being taken out of the room. Mm-hmm. What if that could happen in real time? Oh, that's kind of cool. So like, you'd all see a different room. Well, no, not, necess- not, yeah, not necessarily everyone, but let, let's say you've only got one headset because they're expensive. Oh, no, he's, he's saying smartphone with a headset. Okay, yeah. But so like, your, your standard Google. Sure. Okay, cardboard. so you have um, one person put the, their, their headset on and everybody else has got theirs on already. And one person can read Spanish. Mm-hmm. So that's oh, translated. Yeah. They see the translated version. And one person can uh, one person has a higher spot hidden check than everyone else, so so they can see this clue 
And yeah. then and then and then when they look at the clue for long enough, it ping it, it pings up, and then everyone can see it. Yeah, and like they, you start to see bits of the text are highlighted, mm. which means you can just skip reading all that and just read the highlighted bits. That's kind of fun. I think that would be really oh. good. That would be quite good, like an escape room, but in VR. Yeah, um, and then you, when you're not <coughs> in an investigative scene, you can take that you can take the things off, mm. and have a proper conversation with people. In fact, that's that's actually that would work very well for um, your gumshoe games because mm. gumshoe has quite a strict idea around how like, what information you can find in any given scene. So you so you could just have it's been role play, role play, role play, role play. Here's the here's the scene in which you investigate, and then you come out and and, and do the rest of it. Yeah, I like that. I on the subject of escape rooms. <laughs> I'd like to put forward a business proposition. Which, so, so this listener, perhaps you'll be in. You'll, you'll be in with this. Chris thinks it's a stupid idea. Probably. Ingress rooms. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Tell me more, Grant. <clears throat> it's, a part, it's a party. Right, like mm-hmm. a like a like a semi underground rave style party, drinking drugs. You know the cool stuff. Everyone's there. Music's there. Someone's wearing trousers. It's all. It's all happening. And there are areas of the party that are boarded off. That are that, that are locked behind certain parts. And so you have to, like traditionally, from what I can tell, the standard plot in a escape room game is that you happen to be trapped in a, in a genius's lair who has for reasons best left unexplained written down the padlock code but over four different places <laughs> hidden within my notes for a suitably smart adventurer uh, so you know bullshit but it, that would happen and then you'd unlock different parts of the party as the, as the night went on so what you're suggesting Yes. Is that a bunch of people off their heads on Mandy are going to solve complicated problems to acquire more space to do drugs in? Well, doesn't have to, okay, doesn't have to be drugs. Okay, there's just, no drugs. We just, have, we just people, have wine. People having wine are going to do complicated puzzles to have more space to have to drink wine in. You there'd be a story There'd be some sort of oh, a ghost was buried here two hundred years ago, and you love a buried ghost story. That's the that's pretty much the only genre of of, of computer game you play aside from Destiny. That is true. You like point and clicks about sad ghosts. I really, I love it. <laughs> I really do. Now the other option is we run this on a very amateur level, um, and then don't tell the people whose buildings we're using. <laughs> I think I think the problem is that what you've just designed, Grant, there is an escape room, but you've called it something different. It's an inscape room. Yes, but in a lot of like, I played a World War Two um, escape room in London, mm-hmm. and the plot of that was I had to break into somewhere. Well, it wasn't a very good escape room, was it? No, it's just a term. They should have changed. They should have changed the name. But nobody's gonna get, nobody's gonna know what an ingress room is. <laughs> Well, uh, shut up, <laughs> listener. If you want to invest in my uh, in, in my incredible business, where where a bunch of coked up Londoners try and break into someone's house, <laughs> send any amount of money to just any just coppers to, to Rowan Rook and Deckard's address, which is in any of our books. Yeah, in any of our books, uh, I'd I like that very much. Anyway, what are we talking about? <laughs> What mechanic in VR. a game gives you the VR? Fear? Oh no, that was the last one. It was VR. It was VR. It was VR. I think yeah, investigation is definitely the best. Yeah, I think the key is that you can't live on in the headset for the entire game. No, uh, seances could be quite cool. That would be excellent. Yeah. So being able to have uh, like again, it would be investigation seance, but being able to have effectively a cutscene where everyone goes in. Also, like if you could <clears throat> if you could dress it up. In the fiction of the world, so like you're playing um, high tech ghost hunters, and so you put on your your spectral goggles and then do the séance, and so you can look around and, and 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 find the clues and see the stuff, and then you take them back off and you're back in the real world, as it were. I think actually one of the interesting things there is not VR but AR. Mm. So you're using the phone's camera ninety nine percent of the time. Um, but the DM can flash messages 
onto your screen mm. and do things like jump scares. Yes. Um, and, and small things like that. And I think that would, like, the augmented reality angle is probably easier to do and more effective overall than VR because in VR you've got a lot more modeling to do. Mm. Um, anybody with an app can send a message to an augmented reality headset. Yes. Because you just type in the thing, press send, and it appears in their vision. Mm. However, when you're doing full virtual reality, you need to map the room. You need to yeah, that's you true. need to show a space. Um, you need it, to code it, it, that letter that it we would talked be tricky about. for immersion as well. I think, like, and also, like, if this, if, if we were using um, a proper VR headset with controls and shit, I can think of much more options. Yeah, I, I can think of many more options to do it. Whereas, like, if if your phone's strapped to your eyes, you can't really use it to select things. Yeah, it's really difficult. Uh, you can look at stuff, but it's not perfect, and it's not as sensitive as a as a proper VR headset, mm. and also, not as comfortable either. Pen dragon. <laughs> Always Pendragon. Mm. No, AR games would be really good. Someone actually, so, someone uh, wrote up. I think I think they had a Kickstarter for a deck of cards, and they, and, and they had a Drunken Bear Fighter, a form of Drunken Bear Fighter, um, given with my permission as one of the games on it, and it just it didn't look like it would function in any way. No, I had no clue what was going on. Well, there's a, there's uh, a lot of games that use. Um, Augmented reality in rather complex ways um, that mm. have failed massively. Things like Golem Arcana, okay. uh, which is a, a complicated board game. Okay. Um, That's you, all board games to me. Yes, but you put down a card, and then while looking at the board with your phone, you can see what that card can do, and you see the little monster animation. Oh, that's fun. That's cool, but like in an RPG, that's not useful. Not especially, no. It's it, it feels more like a Harry Potter trading card game. Yeah. Whereas sticking a note that only you can see and jump scaring mm. you or playing some weird music that only you can hear through your headset, that's really cool. I think and also like having the capacity to have here's here's the document you find and it's got it's got the QR code or whatever the AR code on the side, and when you scan it with your phone, you can read the document as normal, and then if you scan it with your phone, you get that oh, here's what your character finds because they have access to these skills. Yeah, I mean even if it's just on just, just on your phone it. and you just go, I have um excellent spot hidden, I have languages, yeah. you know, you key that in. Yeah. And then like the the person tags that Dot that QR code with mm. all the stuff beforehand. That would be fantastic. I, I really want to have smartphones work for role playing, mm. but unfortunately, it requires so much prep. I'm a man who one I can't code. I can't do coding. I'm not also not willing to talk to coders. I think they're heretics and sorcerers. <laughs> they control a strange digital world to which I am not privy to the details of, and also I don't do prep. So my my standard idea of running a game is just uh, yeah yeah, yeah sure it, right. would, it would only Which work doesn't... when you or I ran like a proper investigative scenario. Yes, you'd, and you'd have, you'd have to you'd have to be by the book, and you couldn't tweak it, and it, I couldn't just have like a gnome turn up and be like, "Hello, lads." Yeah, I mean, I, I'm the investigation gnome. You can't see me at the moment. Honestly, I think you could get away with I it. Could actually do that. Um, well, it depends. No one would mention the gnome. No, but when you think about it, when we're doing, when we're running adventures, oh. handouts don't change. The locations of the handouts change. Implies, heavily implies that we do handouts. No, but you know what? Well, we have done handouts. We've published adventures with handouts. Yes, that's true. Actually, yes, at the start. Mm. So I think you, like, you could definitely have a good start of a campaign, but I wouldn't want to have, I wouldn't want to have anything I, I could possibly but forget what I'm saying or do is a if reaction it's, to. If, if it's just text coded to yeah. a QR you, code... Yes, yes, you could make it work. Yes. You could li- as long as you type fast, you can change that <laughs> fairly quickly, because all it is is the QR codes. Just like, so you're looking at the, at the document. The document says, yeah. oh, in 1842, this village was beset by werewolves. All right. Um, and it's like a story, and there's a picture of a werewolf. Um, and then you QR code it, and if you've got occult, spot hidden, linguistics, yeah. all of this stuff, local history. Right, werewolf. The clue is, this village was actually beset by werewolves. And uh, okay. if you don't have that, it's, uh, the clue is, this is all a lie. Yeah. Like, or, we're not talking you, or, like or you you're rewriting like, the whole document. You could have, like, knowledge, uh, knowledge and ability, um, 
there was a powerful family lived here in the 17th century and they had a, a famously reclusive son. Mm. Yeah, you're looking at a like werewolf? a sentence that prompts stuff rather yeah. than an essay and that you could type on the fly. That in fact you, you could just you could randomly generate those hooks. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Oh, I, hang on. <laughs> We've written another game. Well, no, I mean to write this requires us to to understand coding, but to have the capacity to sort of have an adventure sheet which you put down and that sort of randomly generates shit from oh, a man, table. I, I hate to tell you this, but we we run an role playing games business and can actually hire people to do that shit for us. But we just said it on air. Yeah, that's copyright. TM, 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 TM. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, this is going out to witnesses on Monday. <laughs> and so anything that happens after Monday. They're infringing on their copyright. Yeah. Chris, ask me a question. Oh, well. Zimrilim. I love saying that name. Zimrilim asks, what are some good RPGs for when you just want to read one? You want a nice girthy book. You want a mm, mm, bit of girth on your book. You want, you, want a, you want a heavy book that when you put it in your bag, you're like, oh, that sort of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to say my favourite ones for just reading are your um, your Worlds of Darknesses. So your uh, your Changelings, the, not the Dreaming, the one Changeling, the Lost, Werewolf, the Apocalypse, that sort of thing. Um, the like the big beefy single book. Uh, here we are. Let's have a look. Plus, they got all those lovely this. stories in them. I don't read those bits. <laughs> there is a. Every single World of Darkness book has a mandatory 20-page short fiction at the start where and I'm I'm going I'm going to I'm going to save you the save you the time of the way. Here's the plot of every single um mandatory 20-page short fiction. A new person arrives mm-hmm. and meets a slightly uh, and meets a slightly more veteran person. Okay. And then and then they'll say um, and they'll say things like, oh, us vampires have many cousins. You may be a Nosferatu and very ugly, but there are also Gangrel who can turn into bats, and Bruja who have motorcycles, and of course the Tremere who all wear glasses. <laughs> that is alarmingly accurate. I'm just going to explain the plot now. Of course, many moons ago, there was one group of people who were good, but then they left, and now they're bad. Oh, no. I know. You can play them if you buy the Storyteller's Guide. And how much is that, wise sensei? It's another sensei? 30 quid. Um, and so, and that's every single fucking camp, every single fucking book has this long, arduously written. Like, I, I, I'm alright with, right with the little chapter heady bits. Like, they've got, like, maybe 100, 200 words of fiction at the start yeah. of a chapter, and a nice drawing that I'm down with. But not the like you're already going to explain the setting to me, folks. You don't need to do it. You don't need to do it <laughs> as a man croaking it from the wrong side of a coffin. Yeah, it's just it, I find it so painful trying to read World of Darkness books. You're into your Simba rooms, aren't you? I like I like my dark fantasy. You see, your dark I like fantasy. I like my dark fantasy. I like those really grim and grinding settings where it's just like your leg gets infected the RPG yes that sort of thing like ugh we're, we're too poor to be adventurous we'll all just die in this village <laughs> roll to see if you die in the village yes you do can, can I play an elf well you can be killed by an elf <laughs> well you can think about elves while <laughs> you starve not too hard though yeah 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 Simba rooms. Yeah, your Esterin, Shadows of Esterin, that is a lot of, of a lot of book telling you how sad everyone is. Oh, Shadows of Esterin seemed like a like a tall order to me. That is dense. It is a lovely read. It is a wonderful thing. I have no idea how to play it. <laughs> You've and got all the books. I have all the books, and I do not know how to play You've it. You've read them, right? Yes. Is it D20? Is it? I, I can't, like, I literally can't remember. Like, I can remember how to play um, The One Ring right now. We, yeah, I mean, we can I, go I, do I've, that. Read, I've, I've opened Shadow of the Demon Lord once and I can tell you how it works. Mm. But I could not, off the top of my head. First off, I couldn't tell you the difference in the rules between Esterin and Simbaroom. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't play either of them. I think Simbaroom has better masks, Esterin has better towns. That is true. I think that's, that's the main thing. Esterin is really nice for its occult nature. 
Yes, ghosts, that sort of thing. Yeah, whereas um, Simba Room is really interesting for its um, exploration value. Yeah, I'm going to say wilderness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I like those those sorts of grinding, nasty games. And mm. a lot of them come with just too much setting. And in fact, actually, another one that's good to read in its own way is Red Markets. Oh, yeah, okay. That's, um, that's mainly setting. That's, that's mainly setting, but they fall into a trap of something I hate. All three okay. of them do it. It's in character. Ugh. It is no. not. I mean, like when you're talking about history, it's not like 1943. This happened. No, it's mm. when it was a smoky night. Why it was smoky, I don't know. But it was 1943, yeah. and I stepped smoking. through the door. Yeah. Fuck off! Just tell me what's going on. Just give me, just give me this sort of semi-unreliable narrator that exists in monster manuals, and we'll go from there. Yeah, like Red Markets has a very clever setting; it's wonderfully written, but it's three hundred pages of in character. Bloody hell! I was um, Fire on the Velvet Horizon is good at this. Yeah, in that it it shimmies between in and out of character. It has some definite in character bits. It has some bits which are half and half, and it's a, a list of nice ideas. Which don't need to stitch together into a setting. See, the thing I always, I always used to like reading and still secretly do, is lists of weapons and equipment. You fucking love them, don't you? I. The reason why I fell in love with Inquisitor was because it had over eighty different kinds of weapons and equipment, mm. and I and my, I felt a stirring in my fifteen-year-old downstairs parts. <laughs> Just to paint a lovely image for everyone there, and. It just it so excited me the fact that they, that they were new that they were like three different kinds of lasgun. How exciting! What does this say about the world? It said nothing. Everyone used fucking bolters and plasma guns because I was playing with fifteen-year-old boys. Yeah, Dave insisted on being a space marine, but I really like that sort of like cyberpunk and shadow run. Although I'm not a huge fan of the worlds they built and the settings they've got, I really like the fact that so much of it is expressed through its equipment. Yeah. That is pretty uh, cool. The the Inquisitor's Handbook as well for Dark Heresy, I will recommend for that. Yeah, and there's, there, there's kind of um, in-character books, like uh, for, for Old Ravenloft, the Van Richten's Guides. Yeah, those are really good. I like those. Which are fantastic, because they're essentially monstrous compendiums. Mm. They've got stats in for monsters. But they're in-world books analysing the monster. Like They're a thing you can physically mm. find in the game. And you could just drop one of these manuals on the players and it would mm. tell them about the in-character stuff and then weave in the stats so that the players knew the stats and go, okay, so this this does mean that they are hard to hit. This does mean that they'll paralyze me. And they could see that in both story and the hard rules. Which is a nice way of doing it. Yeah, and it was it was one of the better things they ever did for second edition. Ravenloft was brilliant. Like I was still reading through your, um, was it Domains of Dread? It's called. Yeah, uh, I was reading through that a, uh, a few weeks ago when I was around at yours, and it's just really fun. Mm. Lots of nice ideas. It, do- it doesn't get too tied down with imports and exports. Forgotten Realms. <laughs> yeah, because everything's everything's unique in in Ravenloft. Everything's everything's uh, unique. Everything's out up. of time. Mm. It's very anachronistic. It doesn't. Like it doesn't like it's a it's a series of it's a series of basically levels in a computer game as it were. It's not yeah. it's it's not like oh there's there's different there's different regions all sort of interacting with each other and playing. It's like no, here's one fucked up place. Here's a second fucked up place that happens to be next door, but they can't go there. Well, that's, that's really fun, and that's the interesting thing because you can, yeah. But the the populace just don't, yeah, and they don't know why. Mm. They just know that they don't go that way because it's scary, yeah. And that's just such the such an easy in character way of going. Well, why doesn't why does this town have firearms, but this town five miles away on the other side of the border not have them and don't understand them? Yeah, because they don't talk. It, it, a vampire did it. Yeah, it's great. Re, this, imagine a big vampire. Bigger, he did it. Well, they've got they've got the ultimate hand wave. They have the mists. Yeah. Just like, a sort of roving GM who yeah. can reset things. <laughs> Players going in the wrong direction, the mists encroach, and you and you wake up where you where you're meant to be. Players asking difficult questions, the mists. Players poked a hole in your plot. The ah, mist. the mists roll out of the hole. <laughs> it's pretty good. I've got a question for you, Christopher. Ask me a question. Prime of Ages asks advice for a campaign set in literal hell. Ah, oh, didn't they? 
isn't there a new book of Shadowrun? Or... <laughs> oh. Belly laughs. Um, um, what sort of hell we, are we looking at? Here? Well, it could be literary hell. Yeah, I mean, that's so you just, got that's you know you Sorry, just a Borges book. Literal. I've 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 written a book, part of which was set in literal hell. Yeah, I mean that is a novel. Yes, I also tried writing a game, mm-hmm. part of which was set in literal hell. Um, didn't work. It's very difficult. Tried to write a magic system, Chris. Oh, don't. No. Don't. That's my advice to you on magic systems. Point is, anyway. A campaign set in literal hell. I think that you need to... Um, what sort of game are we talking about here? Is this a standard Dungeons & Dragons kick in the door and take the devil's shoes? Yeah, that's is the thing. Like, geist? Uh, let's, let's, let's just look at like uh, just a couple of different avenues you can come at this from. Okay. You've just died and woken up in hell. Right. You are a normal dude. Yeah. Or lady, or what have you. Mm-hmm. Not a superhero, not an adventurer. What what are you going to do? Now you have no power there. You've got yourself guess, a stealth game, I guess. You can talk to people. Yep. Um, also, you can do things like you have flesh. Like the people down there are going to be ephemeral in some way. So maybe like maybe you can do things like odd jobs. Need <laughs> they plumbing done? Yeah, they can't do plumbing. Their hands just go through. I guess if, if this is well, that's Hades. Not a lot of plumbing in hell. No, well, uh, it depends on your hell as well. I think at that point that's tricky. I think that if, if you're looking at, say, a um, an epic or a, to use the D&D term, Paragon-level campaign, where you have to go into hell to get mm-hmm. stuff out, that's that's a different scenario. Because, like, if you... If you if you take it as like you were a bunch of normal spots who were trying to go into hell, that's not very exciting. But if you treat hell as a big ass dungeon, and yeah. the idea is that it's not just full of it's not just full of crazy monsters who want to hurt you. It's a prison for angels. Yeah. Um, and it also turns out a prison for bad people. But then that just feels like a dungeon crawl with a different skin on it. Hear me out. Um, you have a massive, um, a, basically an eternal city, all massively baroque and gothic, and you've got all this crazy sort of, you know, different levels of sinners and different rivers of. You can you can just get all of the underworld mythology you like and mash it all together in a big trifle. Mm-hmm. And then, rather than having, um, oh, I'm a demon lord, and now we must fight. It's oh, I'm a demon lord. I want to take over the bit over there. Can you help? Because you guys seem you guys seem capable. And so you have, like, you guys are the five living people in hell on a mission to go and do something. But to get there, you have to try and recruit different parts of hell. See, that's that's fantastic fun. That's kind of fun. I quite like that. There was that uh, that 4X game, I seem to remember, which was, I think it was turn-based, but it was about taking over different parts of hell and having your legions and having... It was hex-based. But something something akin to that, where um, you... you to get into hell, you contact a minor lord of filth, and he and he's like, "All right, now I need resistance for taking over the pastures." Ew! It's gross, but you basically get in touch with the with the guys who were rubbish, and then help them overthrow the guys who were also bad. I mean, everyone's bad because it's hell. <laughs> yes, but I get your meaning. Um. Never really got the deal with Satan. Okay? Like, so I, I, I dig that Satan wanted self determination. He wanted to, you know, be held uh, as 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 God's as, as God's most beautiful children. I understand mm-hmm. that, but why is God still angry at him? I see. Like, because he has a like, grudge. But, but like, but he looks after all the evil people. Why does he look after the evil people? Why? Why are those the same? Can that, that's that's not the same job. If you've got, like, I assume the devil is in charge of a great amount of magical power. Yep. Because he's the, he's the friggin' devil. Giving him access to resources like souls seems like the sort of thing which you want to avoid if you, if you wanted him to not maybe kick in the doors of heaven and take your crown. <laughs> That's very much like we're going to arrest this terrorist. However, we're also going to sell them a lot of arms. Well, it's a bit like in, um, uh, there's a prison in, in in South America which is entirely run by uh, gangs yep. inside, but not not like how most prisons are run by gangs, obviously. But this is like they're very much just sort of letting them form their own network in there. It would run pretty similar to something like that, I suppose. And it yeah. worked for Bolivia or wherever it was. 
point is, anyway, I think also that I'm getting my um, devil and Satan mixed up a little bit here. Possibly. Because, because the morning star... Y- you Lucifer. Yeah, Lucifer isn't... Uh, there's a lot of flies and there's problems, okay? Yeah. There's a lot of different demons. I think I might be I might be smudging some of them together. Yeah, but I mean, just like a normal D&D game in hell yeah. is the same as a D&D game not in hell. Yes. It's literally just a recolor. Kill things, take their shoes. Yeah. They just they have, they have cooler shoes with maybe like hooves. But then shoes. like when you go into hell which way do you go like do you make it like that ridiculously awful game uh, video game Agony what was Agony Agony was uh, is, is a game where you go through hell but what is essentially it is is uh, violence to women the role playing game oh great yeah it's terrible they've just released mm. the unrated version on Steam woohoo great um, but that's all you know hideous corridors of meat yeah um, I think I'd rather have it a bit and spikes and stuff like that and like you can't run a campaign in that. You'll get tired. That's the thing. Yeah, like you get you get torture blind mm. pretty quickly. So with my with the, with with the novel I wrote, um, have you seen so my I, screenplay? I, have you seen my script? I was writing it in the coffee shop. In in the novel I wrote, the gag I had was that hell was shit. Yeah. There's the, it was this giant black cathedral which Lucifer was running. Except at some some type, some point ago in the past, Lucifer fucked off. And so now, souls have, souls aren't coming in. There's no sort of fresh materials coming in. So it's basically post-apocalyptic, and all the different warring houses of demons are fighting over what little stuff they have left. Which is cool. Which is cool. And occasionally, like they'll summon humans to hell and be like, "We want you to tell us about calculators. <laughs> what are they? Do you know anything about dado rails? Yeah, um, because demons have got to be." Kind of stupid. Most people are stupid. Yeah, you know, I can't. I can't change a light bulb. Why should we assume demons are very smart? But and so, and so, sorry. like having having it as dry and dead, and there's not a lot of stuff there. And where you do see things, where you do see horror, there's biomechanical horrors and individual personal horrors. Rather than here is a grand ocean of roiling flesh. Cool. Okay, I can't imagine it. Yeah, it's gone. It doesn't matter anymore. So I think there's two sources of media that would be really interesting to look at for their depictions of hell and how you how you interact with them. Go on. The first is the MMO Secret World. Yes. Which has really you actually. dip in and out of hell um, mm-hmm. rather than be there all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's a constant battleground. Mm-hmm. There's scouring winds and there's, as you say, biomechanical... Nightmares. It's an unpleasant place to be. It is horrible to be. In. Like it's it's a it's a hostile environment mm. that you go into rather than a place. Yes. And the other one is Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. You'll have to explain that one to me. In Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, they go to hell. Mm-hmm. That's uh, pretty bogus. Yeah, where they're suspended in the middle of this like infinite space on a rock that's like chained off into the distance. Right. And then there's a an infinite number of other rocks with other people on them. Right. And then just very occasionally, they end up landing in a corridor that's slightly too small for them (laughs) with a bunch of doors. Right. They open a door, they experience a nasty thing of hell, they go back to the rock. Right. So what you've got there is a campaign frame and an adventure every time you open a door. Yeah. You literally have to pick a door um, and in one of them, like... You, he, one of the characters relives his nightmarish vision when he first met somebody dressed as the Easter Bunny, <laughs> and so he's chased around by this this hideous Easter Bunny who's just trying to give him chocolate. Mm. Um, and there's a little adventure there, yeah. And then you go back to the quest hub for a better way of putting it. Having it as a having it as a uh, monster of the week, as it were. Yes, yeah, very much yeah, so. Be fun. And like, there's another one where somebody's grandmother's trying to give him a kiss. And he's fleeing that, and then it was it was weird. It was weird. Grandma's trying to kiss you, yeah, or aunts trying to like older relatives trying to don't stop it. Get what? away from me! Get off me, you big I can't weirdo! Even remember your name? You smell like farts. <laughs> and not to mention that one over there. He's got a fucking beard, which to me as a three-year-old is the height <laughs> of terror. He's got hair stuff on the front of his head. Why is that? Fuck that. 
Anyway, um, Chris, ask me one last question. I think you've got time for one more. Uh, Tatum 1961. Great name. Says, the more I play tabletop RPGs, the more I realise that this hobby requires a great amount of social skill. So why did it have a reputation for being a, a favourite of awkward antisocial people? Look, talking to people is very difficult. Isn't it? I don't know. I've been, I've been, I've been talking to people for, I'm going to say, 30 years. Roughly. Yeah, thirty-two now. You know, I've been, I've been, I've been going properly for, you know, I, 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 I could string a sentence or two together, maybe at two. I, don't, I honestly don't know. Can you do that at two? I have no idea. Not a sentence. I can definitely say words which which, which a person could understand. Mm-hmm. Shit, I don't know. Anyway, point is, <laughs> um, I, I don't remember the. Doesn't matter. It's very hard to talk to people, and wouldn't it be nice if we had a series? of rules which governed when it was time to talk to people mm-hmm. to the point when there's even even the situation you can you can say when it's your turn to do talking yes and then when you do that thing you can roll a dice and then that kind of tells you what you say next it's really calm it also if you like that's kind of a joke but from from a real point of view um it gives you something to do it's 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 an intensely social activity because you're all sitting around a table staring at each other. There's very few distractions. It's not like you're uh, watching a film. There's no like you're not you're watching telly or you're playing a sport. What you're doing is talking to each other primarily, but it gives you that thing to fall back on. And you can have people who sit down at the table and say maybe thirty words over the course of a whole night. Yeah, um, but are still involved and still have fun. Yeah, and they'll come away going, "Great game," and you're like, "Really." That that always bemuses me when there's some guy who, who like who, who did literally one thing in the game and it didn't work. He's oh great game, great game, thanks Grant. What? Why? Were you? <laughs> what did I? Were you there? Yeah, it's very strange. Um, but one of the things for me was the ability to skip the talking. Go on. Um, as somebody with social anxiety, mm. the ability to go. Um, I roll a charisma check. Um. I succeed. Yeah. I talk that person out of doing what they're doing. Yeah. Rather than necessarily having to role play every word you say. It's it's you a can good shorthand we, it. We only ask for that when it comes to talking. Mm. It's not like I want to hit the guy. Cool, okay, hit me with this sword. Yeah. Um or like or like oh I I I shoot an arrow at at the dragon. Alright, give me a round of darts and uh, I'll give you benefit based on how good you are at darts. We only do okay. it for talking, okay? And because because we don't because we don't have that abstracted out because like we we do it a lot of the time already, so we don't need to have talking abstracted into rules in the same way we do in like in fighting. Yeah, like most of us don't fight every day, and rules in games don't offer an accurate recreation of fighting. They offer a cinematic um, abstraction of overcoming a challenge, which is fun. Yeah. But talking is like every every single social mechanic system I've seen doesn't work. Uh, the one the one that I like is strings in Monster Hearts, which basically gives you leverage or emotional contact or uh, feelings over like emotional control over a person. You yes. get and and like you get a string on them, and it's like it's a really clean abstract way of doing it. I absolutely love that, and I've not really seen another system. Which does specifically social interactions. Like I've seen universal systems where it's like make a skill check, do the thing, whatever. That's fine. That works. But but there's there's the, there's the phrase social combat. Yes, and social up. hit it's points like, no, and things like that. No, you're doing it wrong. No. It just doesn't feel right, does it? Mm, no, but it's welcoming. Is the other thing as well. Um, we are because we are a group of um, outcasts. Many of us, and like far fewer now. I think than it used to be, um, and also like when I when I joined up at university, I think we like we were on the like, it was before the big rise of board games and before the big rise of streaming, yeah, which let normal people go and play Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, well, it gave people um, it gave normal people access to Dungeons and Dragons they might not have yeah, had before, for sure. And they're like, oh, oh, I've seen this. Like it is, it is fundamentally fun playing and telling stories, and not playing to win, but playing for the sake of play. Yes, that's how that's how humans learn, and like there is something instinctively joyful about play, even as an adult. And we're not really afforded many opportunities to do it, so having the capacity to do it is super cool. And 
the issue is so many of us have been kicked out of of ostracized some other social groups have been you know maligned and put upon especially within the old guard that when we don't know how to kick people out yes we don't know how to ostracize people um and so there is the whole the idea of the missing stare is an excellent piece written um i think it's 2000 um but there's the idea of the, of the of the geek social fallacies, which is that like there there are these massive problems in geek groups, and it, like it's, it's it still rings true now. But the idea of the missing stir is that in in every group of geeks there is one person who uh, who you warn people about. Yes, uh, and and so like especially uh, women, uh, like gen- like generally it's a dude who preys on women, and there are other there are other you know v- varieties and flavors of this. But that that is your most basic uh, type, and rather than rather than get the guy out of the situation, you simply explain to all the people who he might threaten, hey, don't, don't, don't hang around him. Yeah. And you treat it like a missing stair. Rather than replacing the stair, you just say, oh, by the way, watch out, one of the steps on that is missing. Mm, you'll have to step a and little further over that. Yeah, it's hugely dangerous. And we don't know how to exclude people properly. We don't know how to do that subtly. We don't, we don't know how to do that um, without causing a fuss or with causing a fuss, but then doubling down on that, you know, but then taking it. <laughs> yes. Um... And the last time that I've heard of someone trying to be excluded from a gaming group, he got the Game Society shut down. Yeah, like the repercussions uh, are huge, at UEA. which is ridiculous. It, like, it had massive, long-lasting repercussions because he was he was just an awful human being. Anyway, point is that's not not hugely funny. Point is, um, it's it's a welcoming place, and like generally, anyone will anyone will, you, you can find people who welcome you at a table, right? Yeah, exactly. And you don't you don't need to be interesting to be to, to play to play role playing games. And, like, we have formalised accessible sign-up sheets at conventions. Yeah. Rather than, like, having to break into a group and go, Hi, can I, can I play a game with you? Hey, can I tell you I'm a goblin once a week forever? You can write your name on a piece of paper, and then at 3.30, you turn up and go, Hi, I'm a goblin! And everybody goes, hey. Excellent! Sit oh, down! I, I love it when people are goblins here! You're in the wrong room, Chris! Leave! <laughs> Sorry! You know, it's fine. Bye. <laughs> Thanks, though. Yes, but it is it, it is welcoming, but also it's it's all it's just Tolkien's and you and like crucially, I think the reason why it develops a a thing of a, a, a sensation for being nerdy and for being socially awkward people is you have to spend a lot of time pretending something that isn't real is real, or writing up something and like imagining about a. Imagining a fictional world for no direct mechanical benefit to yourself. You don't get paid for it. It's a hobby. And all hobbies are inherently seen as shameful, nerdy things under capitalism. It also requires active participation and research. Mm, So, for instance, if, let's say, I wanted to really get into football. Yes. What I could do is I could sit and watch a football game and I would be into football. And yeah. I would, I could do that again and again. The rules are straightforward enough, and everyone, and like, we're broadly culturally aware of them. And I would learn which team was my favourite. I'd learn and, names because they're said over and over again. And there are, there's a huge amount of, there are multiple channels devoted to people talking about football. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to spend any money. I can just sit down and press a button, and it happens. Yeah. Whereas with role playing games, generally speaking, what you need is a dealer. Yes, it's much more like buying drugs. You need to find somebody who already knows, has done all this work, has done yeah. all this research, to and then is proactive let you enough into the to dungeon, then sell you, so that you can you can start to learn. And then, if you want to learn on your own, you have to figure stuff out. You have to work out yeah. which of the billion T games you want. Yeah. You have to pay money, or if it's free, download it, whatever. Then yeah. you have to read it. Yeah, you have to understand it. Understand it. Memorize it. You have to become it. literate with the thing. And then it's now your fault because now other people are going to come to you and you have to would, teach them. Yeah, I would argue that it's much more like cricket in that no one understands how cricket works. Yes. And it takes far too long. Mm. And you really need someone else who likes cricket to sort of guide you in. Whereas football is made, if anything, too accessible. <laughs> yes. Chris, I think we've done enough show. I think we have. I think we should wrap up the show so that these lovely people can do whatever it is they want to do. Let's let's wrap up this little show like a present. We're mm-hmm. We've uh, we've wrapped up. We've wrapped up ourselves like a little present. Mm-hmm. Um, um, much like uh, it, what you'd imagine. You know those jokes where someone's wrapped up like a dog or a pony. And it's like, oh, what could it be? Is it a bicycle? And it's kind of a joke, you know. It's like that, but there's two, 
like not overly clothed, very large men, <laughs> uh, bound together uh, oh with 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 a neat little ribbon on top, which I'm I'm sure is someone's thing. It has to be right. R- wrapping kink. I mean, there's people. In yeah, balloons. I mean, there's, well, there's, there's definitely like mummification and stuff. I've never yeah, seen wrapping true. paper in particular. No. I think you know what you know what I think it could look quite nice. I think that that, that, that I could look quite nice entirely smothered in wrapping paper. But nice red bow on my head. Google after the show. Yes, for sure. If you're interested in talking to us more about our wrapping paper fetish, you can come along to our Discord. The, the way you come along to the Discord is you go to patreon.com forward slash Hearty Dice Friends. You give us some money, and it's then you come bit. and hang out. We have we've had a lovely. We've had a lovely uh, game of uh, Crux running on there at the moment. Mm-hmm. Crux is Mornington Crescent with encumbrance values. That's the best way I can describe it. Yes. <laughs> so, so it's the best way Chris has described it, which I stole. Yes. It's uh, it's a it's a it's it's a lovely postmodern, um, very silly role playing game which we've been sort of tooling around with on there. Um, and we now have... that we've officially described the rules to you, we're at liberty to do a hearty dice nights entirely about it. So oh, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. That sounds I, straightforward. I did say we wouldn't do one until everybody knew the rules. Now well, everyone no, knows no. the rules. We're good. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at HDF Podcast on Twitter. And you can also send us a big email through heartydosefriends at gmail.com. That's us. We love you. Have a great start of November. Goodbye. Goodbye.